This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to the Life Study Program on Free FM 89.0. I'm Stuart Finlay. Life Study of the Bible is produced by Living Stream Ministry, Anaheim, California, and brought to you by the Church in Hamilton. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. Today it's Ron Kangas with Witness Lee for our program in the Life Study of the Gospel of John. This is the second part of The Need of the Blind in Religion, Life's Sight and Life Shepherding. The verses are John chapter 10 verses 1 to 42. If you'd like to contact us, our telephone number is Hamilton 853-2620, which we will repeat again later. Now here's Ron and Witness Lee. Ron, today's message from chapter 10 somewhat continues from our last program. Could you give us a brief summary of the case of the blind man in John 9? Yes, chapter 10 is the direct continuation of the events in chapter 9. And together they form a case of the need of the blind in religion. In chapter 9, there was a man blind from birth. And the Lord gave him sight by the Lord's being, the light of life to him, and by the anointing through his speaking. This took place on the Sabbath day. And healing on the Sabbath day was something prohibited, not by God, but by the religionists. So they brought in the blind man for questioning, or we might say interrogation, Even the blind man's parents were reluctant to speak for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Eventually, as the result of the conversation between the blind man and the Pharisees, the Pharisees became indignant and thrust him out, uh, put him out of the synagogue, a very serious discipline in those days. Uh, Immediately thereafter, the Lord Jesus found the blind man who had been healed, and revealed himself to him as the Son of God, and received worship from him. Then the chapter ends with the Lord's speaking a direct word to those who are suffering or are in bondage by uh, religious blindness. Then this sets up the scene for his presentation of himself as the door, the shepherd, the pasture, the life in chapter 10. 10 is a direct continuation of 9. In a sense, chapter 10 is the interpretation of the spiritual significance of chapter 9. Let's go to Witness Lee. You could see chapter 10 is a continuation of chapter 9, so these two chapters are one section of the Holy Word. 
But uh, chapter 9 covers one point, and chapter 10 covers another point. In these two chapters, two major aspects of the Lord's being has been revealed. Number one, the Lord's sight given to the blind. And number two, the Lord shepherding, caring for the people outside of religion. The Lord as a shepherd went into the sheepfold and saw a little blind sheep there. And he opened this little blind sheep's eyes. And then the Lord Jesus took the lead to walk out of the sheepfold, and that little sheep followed him. <laughs> well, in a sense, this little sheep was cast out. But in another sense, he was led out of it. The Pharisees cast him out, but the Lord Jesus carried him out. Carry him out, out of what? Not out of hell, but out of the sheepfold. And what was the sheepfold? That was the Judaism, the law-keeping religion. The Lord Jesus came, not only as life, but also as the shepherd, to lead him out of the fold. It's quite meaningful, very meaningful. You know, many of us have been kept in the religion fold. I was one. In a sense, I was born into the religion fold. The law was used by God to keep his sheep. But the foolish sheep tried the best to keep the law. You can never keep the law. You keep the law, you got killed. So, you see, the law is a fold. Now, we come to chapter 10. Chapter 10 is a very interesting chapter, but it's the most misunderstood chapter. Most of the Christians, I'm afraid even tonight, some of you still understand the door in chapter 10 is the door for people going into heaven. The door here is not for you to go to heaven. Because this door here is not only good for you to go in, but also good for you to go out. Yeah. <laughs> in verse 9, yeah, go in and go out. Better underline the word out. And circle it. Christ is the door not only for you to get in, but also to get out. If this door is for people to enter into heaven, my, that is dangerous. I don't like to go into the heaven and to get out of it. No, no, no. This is not the door for people to go into heaven. You see, Christ was the door in the Old Testament time for Moses Aaron, Joshua, David, and so many prophets to get into the law fold, to be kept there waiting for Christ's coming. 
So you see, Christ was the door for them to enter in. For this, you better read Galatians chapter 3. Let's pause here, Ron. I think that we should probably look at Galatians 3, if you would find the appropriate portion, because this is not the usual understanding of this passage in John 10, where the Lord portrays himself as the door in and the door out. It really doesn't follow that this could be referring to heaven, does it? It simply doesn't fit. And to apply the concept of heaven to this chapter is to make a serious mistake. We need to use Galatians 3.23 as a kind of interpretive key to understanding the door and the fold in John 10. Galatians 3.23 tells us that before faith came, we were guarded under the law and shut up for the purpose of the faith that was to be revealed. The point, if we can try to put it succinctly, is that God used the law as a way of preserving and holding his elect people, keeping them until Christ himself would come as the life giver. So the door in John 10 is the door in and out, not out of heaven, but into the law or into the religion of the law as a kind of retainer. This means that the Old Testament believers, being people of promise as sons of Abraham, entered into the custody of the law through Christ as the door. So he was the door for them into the law. Now in John 10, he, the Son of God, as the Good Shepherd has come, to be the door not into the law, but the door out of the law, to be the door not into religion, but the door out of religion. So for the Old Testament saints, he was the door into the custody of the law, which custody, according to Galatians 3, preserved God's people with a view to Christ coming as their justifying and saving faith. But the emphasis in John 10 is that Christ is here as the door out of the fold, the door out of the religion of the law, into the pasture where there can be the flocking together, as we'll eventually see, under himself as the one shepherd. So to summarize, Christ here is the door not for anyone to go in and out of heaven, but the door for the Old Testament saints to go into the law and the door for all of God's people to come out of the law and into Christ. Let's return to Witness Lee. Then Christ came. But after Jesus came... God had no more intention to keep his select or elect still in this lawfold. God would get them out of the lawfold into Christ. So, by this time, Christ is no more the door. 
for God's elect to enter into the fold, but rather the door for all those who were in the fold to come out. And Peter was one, and John was one, and James was one, and the blind man was one, and later on, Paul the apostle, who was Saul of Tarsus, was one. Just outside of the fold, and alongside is what? Green pasture. So Christ is three things, the door, the shepherd, and the pasture. In the wintertime, in the nighttime, they seep for their protection. They needed the fold. But now it's the daytime. It's the springtime. It's the right time for all the sheep to get on the pasture, to feed on the green grass. They don't need to stay in the fold. They have to get out of that and get on the pasture. Now, my goodness, look at John, James, and so forth. All these people now are feeding on Christ as on the pasture. In a very good sense, when we were there in the whole religion, we were in a fold, kept, but starved to death. No door, that means no freedom. No pasture, that means no feeding. But one day, my, we met Christ. The living one. First of all, he was our shepherd. Come and follow me. Okay, Lord Jesus, if I follow you, how could I get out? You don't need to get out. Somebody will put you out. <laughs> you, you just follow me. I tell you, this following me was terrible. It's tall to get you out. You don't need to get out. They will just kick you out. <laughs> Religion could never stand with Jesus. And Jesus would never stay in religion. These are absolutely two things. The natures are different. There's no way to reconcile. I tried, I tried, I tell you, no way. If you do know John, the gospel, you could see, my, no way, no way. Religion is there. Jesus is here. Jesus is life. Religion is something else. So what? Praise him. We all, we all are out of religion. And we are all here on the grand Hallelujah. You read verse 9 again. The door is for the people to go in and go out and find pasture. The pasture is surely not in the fold. It's outside the fold. If you are going to enjoy to participate in the pasture, surely you have to get out of the fold. But once you get out of the fold, hallelujah, you are on the pasture. Amen. Oh, 
Ron, let me ask you an experiential question here. Is coming out of the fold of religious law-keeping through Christ as the door a once-for-all event that occurs when we are saved, or can we, in our experience, take ourselves out of the pasture and be back in the fold? We are not in the fold. We are in Christ, who is our pasture. However, the other side is that in our actual experience, we may put ourselves under the law again. This is the point of the book of Galatians. The believers in the churches in Galatia, having come to Christ through Paul's preaching of the gospel, were brought into Christ. Then some Judaizing teachers went to them, teaching them that they must keep the law, they must be circumcised, they must follow these ordinances. And a number of them, to say the least, were being influenced. And when Paul learned of this, he wrote this epistle strongly, frankly, passionately to address this matter that you've been justified by faith. Now will you go back to be perfected through the self-effort of your flesh under the law? If we read Galatians in this light, we will see Paul's struggle to bring the Galatians back to the enjoyment of Christ and to their participation in Christ. We have to admit that essentially we're no different and we're no better than our brothers and sisters in the churches in Galatia. Instead of enjoying the grace of God in Christ, instead of eating and drinking the Lord as we saw him revealed in chapter 6 and 7, we may set up kinds of laws for ourselves and when we do, actually and practically and experientially, we're in a fold. So we need to be reminded that we have been transferred by God into Christ. And Christ is our pastor. Christ is our life. Christ is our everything. We need to be reminded that the Christ, who is our pastor and our shepherd, is the pneumatic Christ, the life-giving spirit in our spirit, and we're one spirit with him. So we need to turn from the fold that is in our religious soul to the pasture that is Christ as the life-giving spirit in our regenerated spirit. I realize my answer may sound a little mysterious to some, but experientially, many of us can testify, this is the, the case and this is the fact. Even after we came to Christ, we found ourselves under the law and in the fold. At those times, we need to be reminded that Christ is our shepherd, Christ is our pastor. We need to allow him to shepherd us once again out of this fold we've gotten ourselves into, back into himself as our lush, green, enjoyable, nourishing pasture. I just love him, I have to say, as my pasture. I never had this kind of enjoyment in any religious fold, but I surely have it with the flock on the pasture. Amen. Let's rejoin Witness Lee. Now we come to life shepherding. We all have seen that Christ, as the man, has 
the human life. And Christ, as the very God, has the divine life. So Christ's person is of man and of God. So he has two different lives. The human life and the divine life. If you don't take care of the Greek text, if you read only the English version, you will be bothered. Why? In the English version, in verse 10, you have the word life. I am come that they might have life, right? Life. Then in verse 11, he said, I will lay down my life. All in English word, the same word life. But in the Greek, these two words for life are different. In verse 10, it is the word zoe. Zoe is a Greek word always used in the New Testament for the divine life, the eternal life. And uh, the life, in verse 11, I will lay down my life and I will take it back. And this life in Greek is suki, the same word for our soul. It also means the soulish life. That is the human life. So you see, these two verses indicate that the Lord Jesus has two lives. His human life and his divine life. You know, his divine life could never be slain. What was slain in crucifixion was his human life. As a man to be our savior. He laid down his human life to redeem us. That we may, after being redeemed, receive his zoe life, the eternal life. So you see, here you have three things. The shepherd is for the flock, and the shepherd's divine life is for the flock, and the shepherd's human life is also for the flock. Why? The flock are fallen persons. And these foreign persons need the redemption. And this shepherd, as a man, did have the human life. And he sacrificed his human life to account redemption for his flock. And then his flock got redeemed. And then his flock received his divine life. And by the divine life, the sheep live together as a flock. So now you have the flock formed into one unit, into one entity, not by the human life, but by the divine life. In the human life, we are condemned, we are divided, but in the divine life, we are accepted and we are united. Here, in the divine life, we all are one entity. That means one flock under one shepherd in one life. The flock is produced, kept, maintained, and fully formed by the divine life. How good that the brethren (laughs) dwell in unity. Dwell to dwell in unity simply means to dwell in the divine life. Now we are really one. Praise the Lord. We love one another. We really love one another. 
not in our human suki life, but in the divine zui life. He sacrificed his suki life to account redemption for all of us that we may receive himself as our zui life. Now we are in the zui life under one shepherd to be one flock. It is not a kind of organization. It is just a flocking together. Flocking together in what? In life, not in doctrine. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. Ron, it's really wonderful that this flocking together flows out of the divine life. Let's back up to the beginning of this section where Witnessly introduces these two Greek words, zoe and suke, for the one English word, life. Could you develop this for us? A great truth is embodied in the text here through these words for life. Our good shepherd laid down his human life for us in order that the divine life which was in him could now be imparted to us. And it is in this divine life and through and by and with this divine life that we are constituted to be the flock, the one flock, under Christ as the one shepherd. And I would add just a little kind of P.S. It's vital that every believer, especially every earnest seeker of Christ, would receive light from the Word of God on the fact that we have, through regeneration, received the very life of God. So Paul, understanding this, in Romans 8.10, he said, the spirit, the human spirit, is life, is zoe, because of righteousness. This is a very central truth, and it's one of the reasons why we call this kind of study a life study. In a real sense, a life study of the Bible is a Zoe study. It's a study to bring us into the experience of the eternal life of God imparted through Christ and transmitted to us through the Spirit and through the Word of God. Thank you, Ron. We're always happy to hear from you and to answer any questions you may have. We have copies of the recovery version of the New Testament with its accompanying footnotes available, and these are free. We'd love to send you a copy. You can call us on Hamilton 853-2620, or you can order a free copy from Bibles for New Zealand. That's bfnz.org.nz. Their phone number is 0800 40 40 80. Join me again next week at the same time, 2.30pm, when we will have the next life study in the book of John. We close today with the hymn, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go, and it's from the CD, Each One Has. I 
You're listening to Free FM 89.0, a great station supported by New Zealand On Air. We hope you've enjoyed today's life study program and thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out more.